0: Fantastic. Hey, can we thank our worship team for leading us tonight? So good, so good, so good. Hey, just by a show of hands, just by a show of hands, how many of you thought the rain was pretty cool today? Raise your hand if you thought the rain was pretty cool. Yep. Yeah. okay. Anybody not a big fan of the rain? Raise your hand if you're oh, it's kind of me. I'm with you. I'm with you. So, on our first night, on our first night, I showed you a picture of my wife Sarah and I on our wedding day. And I want to tell you about a story that almost got in the way of that day ever happening. When Sarah and I were, when Sarah and I, no, it's not the the footsies. When Sarah and I, when Sarah and I were just friends, just friends, uh, we were texting each other, we were calling each other. And one afternoon, one afternoon, she invited me to go visit her at her college to play some tennis, which I felt like decently good at so we could play some tennis. And then she said, I want you to come and have dinner with my very best friend Katrina and her boyfriend Blake. And then Sarah said this. Sarah said, I I know you're meeting them for the very first time. And again, Sarah and I weren't dating at this point, but she said, I know you're meeting them for the very first time, but, and this was on a Monday night. She said on Saturday, Blake is going to propose to Katrina. Blake is going to ask. Katrina to be his wife. And, and Sarah says, Blake told me that he wanted me to plan a surprise engagement party. And I asked Blake if I could invite you. And so I'd love for you to come. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? I just got invited to this dinner. Now I know about this secret surprise engagement and Sarah wants me to be there. Like this is awesome, right? I'm just stoked out of my mind. So I'm driving out to visit her at school, and right as we get out there, I check my calendar, and I remember that I'm going to be gone this coming weekend, and so I couldn't be there, and I was absolutely devastated. So we're hanging out with Sarah. Her and I are playing some tennis and and chatting, kind of waiting to go out to dinner, and then I tell Sarah, I say, Sarah, I'm so sorry, but I, I can't go to the surprise engagement party on Saturday, I feel so honored that I was invited. Is it okay if I, you know, thank Blake and, and just let him know that I really appreciated him being okay with me coming? You all want to like get in good with them. I mean, that's kind of like a you know pro tip for those of you that are gonna date in like 15 years or whatever. It's just like you want to get in good with the best friends. Like that, that's that's a good strategy. So Sarah says, "Of course you can do that." So we head off to dinner. And I remember I was sitting right here and Sarah was sitting right next to me. And in front of Sarah was Katrina and in front of me was Blake. And for the first 15 minutes, you guys, I was on my A game. Like every joke landed. Like I had cool little facts and, and, and winsome cool things to say. And, and it was working. Everything was great. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, maybe you've had one of these moments before. There was like an awkward Silence. And, 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 I just want to know if you're out there, if you're like me, raise your hand if you hate awkward silence, if you hate, uh, me too, me too. I hated it. And, and you guys, what, what all of a sudden started happening is my, my hands started to get really sweaty and and my mouth started to get really dry and, and I started to get really nervous and I didn't know what to say and I wanted to impress them and I, I, I wanted to, to come across as like a really cool guy and so I was so stressed and I was overthinking it and, and those 15 seconds felt like 15 minutes and, and, and the first thing that blurred out of my mouth is I looked at Blake and I said, Blake, thanks for inviting me to the party on Saturday. And you guys, there was just silence at the table. Silence. And all of a sudden it got more awkward and more weird. And I didn't know what was going on. I was overthinking everything. I just wanted this conversation to go well. So I looked at Blake again. I said, Blake, I can't come to your party on Saturday. I'm so sorry I have this thing that I have to be at. And, and again, absolute silence. And then I don't know why, I don't know why, but I looked at Blake because I was just trying to make sense of it. And, and I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes when like you're like, like, like digging a ditch for yourself, like you just dig deeper. You know what I mean? Like you, just, you just keep going and, and, and sometimes I don't think before I speak and I just looked at Blake and I said Blake I can't come to your engagement party on Saturday. I have this thing going on. And you guys I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. I don't understand like how we finished the rest of that dinner. I feel like God just like took me mentally to this other place. Like I don't really know. But somehow we finished this dinner. Blake and Katrina leave. Sarah and I are walking out of the restaurant and I could tell that Sarah was a little irritated, okay? And look, I'm a sensitive guy, like very intuitive, right? Like socially aware. And so I could kind of tell something was off with Sarah. And so I leaned over to Sarah and I remember as we were walking out, I I kind of put my arm around Sarah, right? I want to be sensitive, right? Like I want to show her I'm very like emotionally aware and a sensitive guy. And so I put my arm around Sarah and I go, Sarah, you... You seem a little upset, like, is everything okay? Now, some of you, some of you this week, some of you this week have gotten the opportunity to talk with my wife, you've seen her. She is the kindest, sweetest, most gentle, nicest person in the whole world. Like she rivals Mother Teresa, like she's just the best of the best. In this moment, this is what she did. As soon as I said that with my arm around her, she went like this, and she like lunged away from me, right? And I like, you know, I hadn't dated a lot of girls, so I'm like, Maybe this is what girls are like. I don't know. I don't know. You know, I'm just, I don't know. I don't know. So she like kind of lunges away from me. And then she looks at me and she goes, Eric, didn't you know that Blake and Katrina were not engaged yet? You just ruined their engagement. And at that moment, I remember praying, Jesus, if you're taking requests about when to come back, this is a great moment. (laughs) This is my one shot to get married. I ruined it. Like, let just take me home. Like I'm done. Right. We get in the car and I'm driving her to a meeting that she had that night and, and the car ride was so silent. And I remember at one point I looked at Sarah, I said, Sarah, maybe we'll laugh about this soon, which is just the wrong thing to say. You know what I mean? Don't try to make it better. On the drive home, on the drive home, on the drive home, I just had an iPod in those days and on the drive home, my iPod died and so I was literally just driving in silence. And half the time, I was crying. I was literally crying. I was like, I ruined this relationship. And it hadn't even started yet. Like, I ruined it. And then the other half the time, I was laughing. Because I was like, this is a crazy story. Maybe I can put it in a book someday. You know, like, I don't know. Three days went by before Sarah reached out to me. Those days, oh, they felt so long. I was so worried. Then she called me, and I answered the phone. I was like, I am so glad to hear your voice. Even if you're going to yell at me, I'm just glad you're here, right? And Sarah was so kind. She forgave me in that moment. She forgave, yeah, give it up for Sarah. That was really cool. That was really cool. Drops to you, babe. What was so hard about that moment for me, what was so painful about that moment for me is that I had tried so hard to convince Sarah that I was perfect, that I had it all together, that there were no faults in me, that I was always funny, that I was always smart, that I was always intentional about what to say, that I made no mistakes, that I was the perfect guy. And then in this moment, the real me came out. And there was nothing I could do to stuff it back in. There's a rhetorical question, meaning one I want you to just think about, not answer. Do you ever feel like you're two different people? Do, do you ever feel like you're putting on this image for other people to see, whether that's in social media, whether that's in your conversations, whether that's in your friendships in the classroom? Do you ever feel like you're putting on this front, but it's not actually the real you? And what's terrifying is to think about anyone discovering who the real you actually is. Tonight what we're going to do is we're going to look at a story in John chapter 8 of a woman who, not because she wanted to, but because of reasons outside of her control as we're going to see, the real her was brought before Jesus, and what she anticipated would be her worst nightmare, turned out to be the biggest blessing. And tonight, I just want to prep you. We're going to go deep tonight, and it's going to feel a little heavy. But it's because I want, I want each one of us to come face to face with our brokenness, to come face-to-face with the reality of who we are. Because I believe it is only when you come face-to-face with your own brokenness that you can then become face-to-face with Jesus and truly experience him for who he is. Friends, the problem in the world, the problem in the world today is sin. In fact, every single problem in our culture, every single problem in our world, every single problem in your city, every single problem in your home, every single problem in your own life and heart has at its root sin. Sin, by definition, is is any act of rebellion. It's, It's any rejection of God. More plainly put, sin is any thought, word, or action that is disobedient to God's character and God's desires. I want you to write that down. Sin is any thought, word, or action that is disobedient to God's character and his word. And that ultimately is the problem at the root of every single one of us. So I want you to write this down. Where we're going tonight is this. Jesus, we're going to begin with this. Jesus is put in an impossible situation. Jesus is put in an impossible situation. Find me in John chapter 8. If you have your Bibles with you, we'll have it up on the screen too. Go out, get out your Bibles. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. The story goes like this. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. If you have a pen with your Bible, I want you to underline that phrase. He sat down to teach them. So this is a very customary thing for a Jewish rabbi, for a Jewish teacher to do, is they oftentimes weren't teaching, standing up as we oftentimes do, but they were all sitting down together, listening to Jesus. So everyone, including Jesus, is seated. The teachers of the law, these are the religious people in Jesus' day, and the Pharisees, another religious group, brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand, underline the word stand. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. There's two groups in this story with two different motivations. Group number one is the woman who's living in sin. That she's been caught in the act of adultery. It means she's sleeping with someone that's not her husband. She's living in sin. But the second group is the Pharisees that are exploiting this woman, using this woman for their own advantage to try to trap Jesus. Jesus. And what's important is that in this story, we're we're quick, maybe you've heard this story before, we're quick to want to be the Jesus figure in this story, but the reality is you and I are like the sinful woman and like the self-righteous Pharisees. And so I want to talk about those two groups for a minute. First, let's pause and talk about the woman who's living in sin. The thing about sin is this. Sin has sort of a downward spiral to it. It begins with, I desire this. It's a desire that God doesn't have for you. It's a desire to be accepted by somebody else no matter what you have to sacrifice. It's a desire to see something that God would not want you to see right now. It's a desire to be popular And to be willing to use anyone to get there. The sin starts as a desire and it spirals into a sense of, I deserve this. And then ultimately lands the plane with, I demand this. And so our thoughts, our words, and our actions that are rebellious against God that are rejecting his ways, begin with a a broken, evil desire that turns into I deserve, that leads to I demand this. And here's the thing about sin. Sin will always cause you to run and hide. Sin promises you life. If I click on this image, I'm going to find what I'm looking for. If I I gossip with these friends, I'll feel really connected to them. If I lash out at this person, my parents, this teacher, I'll finally feel satisfied and this hurt within me will be dealt with. But what we learn about sin in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis is that it happened by by Satan tempting Adam and Eve, telling them to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This, This one tree that God put in the garden, he said, don't eat of this, and if you eat of this, you will die. And because you're smart students, you've probably asked the question, why would God put a tree in the middle of the garden that they couldn't eat from that would cause their death? Why would he do that? And it's because from the beginning of time, God has wanted an authentic relationship with each one of you. That God has not wanted you to be some robots that have no free will, that are forced to love him. That's not the kind of relationship God desires to have with you. No, God God wants a real authentic relationship with you. And in order for you to authentically choose him, he has to provide a way for you and I to reject him. And so in Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve can enjoy all that God has created except this one thing. In other words, God is saying, I made all of this for you and I want a perfect relationship with you and me and and you and each other and, and I want you to trust me but if you don't trust me, if you don't want to love me, if you want to run away, here's the path. And they took it. And what happens in Genesis chapter three the very first thing they do is they run and they hide from God. I want to ask you students to begin thinking about, in what ways are you running and hiding from God right now? Well, what are you running and hiding from God with? Here's the thing about sin, students. Sin will take you farther than you wanted to go. It'll keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and it will cost you more than you were ever willing to pay. Sin has this snowball effect that we cannot stop on our own. And some of you have experienced that. Before the pandemic, if you look back, if you were to wind back to before the pandemic and you think about the things you're doing now, The the pre-pandemic you would have never imagined you'd be where you are right now. There's things that you're looking at online right now that you didn't even know existed. There are things that you're doing in relationships right now that you had planned to save. There are words that you're using and ways that you're talking about people made in the image of God, and it doesn't even phase you anymore. There's secrets you're keeping from your parents, from your friends, from your youth pastors. And it used to bother you, but your heart has grown cold and hard. Here's the thing sin is real, it's not just some concept out there. Sin is real, and it puts a barrier between me and God and others. And like I said last night, God hates sin, He hates it. Because it hurts you. That he stands totally opposed and against it because it hurts you and I. And, and, and the reason sin continues in our world, the reason sin progresses is because of my proximity to it and my participation in it. That sin progresses because of my proximity to it and my participation in it. Here's what I mean by Proximity. That you and I live in a sinful and broken world where things just happen. Devastating things happen. Because sin entered the story of the world back in Genesis 3, our bodies are broken, our hearts are broken, our lives are broken, our relationships are broken, our minds are broken, our world is broken. A few years ago, I was, was about to drive up here to camp, and I got, I got a call from a friend of mine named Jonathan. And, and Jonathan said, Eric, I need you to come to the hospital right now. Jonathan and Danielle were 30, 36 weeks pregnant with their child. When they stopped hearing the heartbeat, they rushed to the hospital. And the nurse came in to do an ultrasound and couldn't find the heartbeat. Another nurse came in, couldn't find the heartbeat and finally the doctor came in and he said, Danielle and Jonathan, I'm sorry to tell you but the umbilical cord wrapped around your baby's neck and your baby's gone. Danielle gave birth to a stillborn baby named Matthias and Jonathan called me to the hospital And and he said, do you want to see my son? Do you want to see my son? And he held his baby right there. And we just prayed. And I didn't know what words to use. I didn't know what to say to make it better. A few days later, they wanted to have a, a memorial service for this baby, for Matthias. And so we were planning it. And I just kept telling her, the mom and the dad, I just kept telling them, you can either run away from God because of your pain or you can run to God with your pain. I remember the morning of their memorial service, I was standing in our church kind of going over my message and they brought in a little casket that baby Matthias was in and they put it at the front of the stage and And when Danielle walked in, she came over by the casket and she just fell to her knees and put her arms on it. And there's nothing quite like hearing a mom who's lost a child just wail, just a deep weeping. We went to the graveside and after saying a few words, they lowered the casket in and some of the employees of this funeral home, they, they started to pick up the dirt with their shovels to bury him and, and instantly the dad, Jonathan, ran over and, and grabbed the shovel from him and started burying his son. And when he grew too tired, one of the uncles came over and buried Matthias. And there were about four or five of them that did this. You see, the reality is, is sin, broken sin, nothing that Matthias in this moment did, nothing that his parents did, just the reality of sin in our world means tragic things happen. It's why in the book of Revelation, at the very end of the story of the world, God promises us that one day he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. He promises that we will get renewed bodies, perfect bodies. He promises that there will be no more death and there will be no more mourning. But we live in between These two trees, we live in between the tree when we chose sin and that brought brokenness to everything and to when Jesus will return again and we'll live with him in the new heaven and the new earth. But sin is all around us. We're in proximity to it and and some of you have experienced the effects of other people's sin or just the reality of the sin of the world and it's spilled over into your life. And I want you to know it breaks God's heart. It's not as he intended or desired for it to be. And he promises one day to make all things right. But we're living in a broken world. But that's easier for us to believe that sin is out there. The really hard thing is to think about sin, sin being in here. When I was a junior high student, when I was your age, I was living two lives. I went to church. I went to Bible studies. I put on the front. But I was living this other life. I was smoking. I was drinking. I was doing all kinds of things that my parents had no idea about. And I remember I would go to bed every single night and as the buzz or the high would wear off, I would tell myself every Junior higher does this. Every middle schooler does this. This is normal. I was trying to cope with it and I, I became more angry. I became more disrespectful to my parents. There were no healthy, good relationships in my life. Things got so bad that I, I, I wasn't content. I, I wasn't okay. Being this, this sinful broken person and 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 just like I talked about, sin will take you farther than you wanted to go. I started to try to introduce my younger sister to drinking. What kind of older brother does that? But that's what sin will do. It starts to corrupt your thinking and your living and your life, and it's serious. And this woman, this woman, she's participating in some stuff that's breaking her life. It's breaking God's heart. But the Pharisees, well, the Pharisees are just as bad. You see, they're, they're, the Pharisees, they wanna trap Jesus and, and twice it says in most of our translations that she was caught. But in the Greek, the original language that this text was written in Probably a better translation is that she was taken in the act of adultery, meaning those Pharisees, they were waiting. Instead of getting in front of her and saying, don't go do this, this is leading you down a bad path. They gathered their popcorn and their drinks and they said, let's watch this train wreck happen. And then let's bring her to Jesus. And notice in the story that she's the only person standing. She's the only person standing, and and what she's done has been shared with everyone, and there she is with all eyes on her as she stands there by herself. And notice they didn't pull Jesus aside to have this conversation privately. They did this publicly publicly. And then in verse five, they they start to quote Moses. They say, and the, the law commands us to stone such women. The reality is, is in Leviticus 20 and Deuteronomy 22, it actually requires that both the man and the woman be executed for this kind of sin. But see, they don't care about getting that part right. They just want to take advantage of this woman and exploit her, and they want to trap Jesus. Do you see ugliness of their heart maybe there's some of you that that you 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 there's a part of you that gets excited when somebody fails you get excited when someone else is exposed that you become so self-righteous and and like the Pharisees you've believed that God loves you and saved you because of all the things that you've done for him in a sense, you feel like God owes you because of all the good things you do out there and you can't help but look down on others. And oh, you never do the things they're doing, but you're happy to share in a group a prayer request on their behalf. That you're fine spreading rumors about what they've done. See, that's where these Pharisees are at. But then enters Jesus and he responds in an unfathomable way. Look at what it says in verse seven. Well, back up to the end of six. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. So just think about this scene for a minute. Jesus is sitting. Everyone else is sitting. They bring in the woman. She's standing. At some point, Jesus must have stood up, deflecting the attention, drawing the attention on himself. And when he's asked and everyone else is silent, Jesus bends down and he starts writing something in the ground. He starts doodling and drawing. We have no idea what Jesus was writing, and so much attention has been placed on what do you think Jesus was writing, and I think that's precisely the point. That was cool. And then... Was that like a Christmas jingle? That was awesome. Okay. All eyes, all eyes were on the woman and now all the eyes are on Jesus. Her worst fear has happened and Jesus draws some attention to himself, taking it off of her. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, so he stands up, it's her and him standing, He straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Dude, I love when Jesus does one of these mic drop moments. Like he's so witty, he's so brilliant. Basically says, okay, all right, if you haven't sinned, go ahead and pick up your stone and get ready to throw it at her. And then he drops down, he starts writing. At this, verse nine, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Wow. 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 (laughs) This was undoubtedly this woman's worst day of her life until she got face to face with Jesus. And what she thought was gonna lead to her ridicule, what she thought might lead to her being stoned to death, what she thought might lead to a lecture from the God of the universe saying, I didn't make you for this. What are you doing? I want nothing to do with you. Turned into some very liberating, freeing, gentle words where Jesus said, I'm gonna lead with, I'm not here to condemn you. Oh. Could you imagine the sigh of relief? The short, panicked breath that she had been holding that entire time all of a sudden turned into one big exhale where she hears the words of this Messiah who is God Almighty in a body telling her, I don't condemn you. but she only experienced that because her sin was out in the open. In other words, students don't miss this. Jesus can't forgive you for something you're not willing to admit is there. Jesus can't forgive you for something that you're not willing to acknowledge. And then Jesus says this line, he says, go now and leave your life of sin. I want you to write this down. How do you leave your life of sin? There's three steps. How do you leave your life of sin? Step number one is this, confess it. All of that sin, all that junk, all that stuff. You gotta first confess it to Jesus and then you gotta tell someone who loves you and cares about you so they can help you and pray for you and encourage you but you gotta confess it to Jesus first. Step number two, starve it when it growls for your attention, when that desire is awakened within you, when you want to go back to those old ways, you've gotta resist it. And step number three, you fight it. You, you actively seek help from mentors and leaders and through reading your scriptures, through the, reading the Bible, through prayer, through community, you fight against it. this same John who wrote this gospel wrote a couple letters towards the end of the New Testament. And in one of them, in 1 John 1, verse 9, he said this, if we confess our sins, he, talking about Jesus, Jesus is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is the craziest equation in the entire world. God's word promises, all you have to do is confess it. All you have to do is bring your mess to Jesus, not bring your supposed perfection, not bring all your attempts at having it all together, not trying to impress him with how amazing you are, not trying to fool him. But if you and I will confess our sins, Jesus promises to do four things. There's no no kind of exchange quite like this. If we confess our sins, if we literally bring our very worst to Jesus, he promises that he's faithful. He promises that he's just. He promises that he will forgive us, and he promises to purify us, to shape us, to transform us, to make us more like himself. And tomorrow night, we're gonna talk about the lengths that God went to do those four things because he loves you more than you could ever fully imagine. But tonight, we need to sit in the confession part of that. Students, I want you to close your eyes for a second. what sin what sin is dominating your life right now what thoughts words or actions are displeasing to god not as he designed you that you are participating in how has sin taken you farther kept you longer and cost you more than you ever wanted to pay How has your own sin robbed you of joy? Because we can't truly know and experience the forgiveness of God if we're not willing to honestly confess to God. Tonight, I want you to go into your cabins and I want you to get real with each other. I want you to share with each other, with God and with each other, those things that you're struggling with, those sins that you're participating in. A great place to start might be in Galatians, when it talks about the fruits of the Spirit, which of those are not evident in your life are you living the exact opposite of? I want you to get honest with your group tonight. Because I think if tonight, you can sit in that little bit, that you can get face to face with your brokenness, you can take off that, that mask and just be honest with God and each other. And if tonight you can get face to face with your brokenness, I believe you will find yourself like this woman, face to face with Jesus. Who wants to forgive you, redeem you, heal you, restore you, use your life, transform your life. But it can't happen if you're not willing to be honest. Heavenly Father, I pray that each one of us, me included, would tonight sit in the reality of our brokenness and our sin. Sin isn't just out there, it's not just that I live in proximity to sin but I'm participating in it. It's a part of me. And if I don't confess it, I can't experience Jesus' faithfulness, his justice, his forgiveness, and his purifying power. So tonight I ask that you would give each one of these students just enough courage be honest with you and honest with each other about what is actually going on in their hearts and lives. We love you, we trust you, we know that even this difficult, painful, hard news is important for us because it leads us to the good news. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.